0: Welcome to a terrible episode of the podcast. <laughs> no, no, this one's going to be good because you and I are squirming in our seats, thinking about it, thinking about it, and we've touched on it slightly like when we did our, our episode on like generationalism, yeah. But I and, 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 and I don't even know if this is going to see the light of day. That's how nervous I am about it. It's going to see the light of day. Mm. I yeah, don't know. You say All that right. Now. Well, we'll see. You you say might, that now. It might make it. Here is the thing: I am getting uncomfortable with it because I'm not even knowledgeable enough to talk about it in meetings as a member of the leadership team. Yeah. But I am, and I'm trying to say, oh my gosh, we haven't even said the topic yet. That's how nervous we are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Number one, liturgy. Number two, the role of traditional forms of expression in liturgy. And, and contemporary forms of expression and liturgy. Oh, man. Here we go. I, I'm telling you. Can we open – can we start with a little da-da-da-da-da-da podcast? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so let me just give you a little bit of background. I belong I'm, – I'm one of three administrators of the legend herself, Sherry Waddell, her Forming Intentional Disciples Facebook group. It's a private Facebook group, but thousands are in it. I'm friends with her, but I want to be in the group. You can, you just request and uh, just form intentional disciples. And, um, she has a notorious ban on any and all liturgy discussion because people become so fanatical one way or the other or every which way. Um, and so what ends up happening is they're fruitless. So she's banned it. So even there would be people like my friend uh, who will go nameless right now. He posts an article on how the liturgy can be used for evangelization. And she's like, sorry, I'm going to take that one down just in case because people will start of flame more over it. And it is amazing how awkward it makes people feel. Yeah. But here's the deal. So we're talking about millennials. We're talking about the young people leaving the church. Yeah. And often people think the response is, more technology more lights yep. more drama in the sanctuary more this more that and the answer you're finding in both catholic circles and protestant circles in many ways is the exact opposite it's a reaction to yep. give me peace and simplicity yep it's give me not tradition. it's not a laser light show that's no. bringing young people in so let's talk about this let's clarify yeah. real quick yeah we do liturgy really well at St. Anthony's. Now, there are a few things that I think we could do better. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I say that, um, you know, as any organization, we should be able to have these healthy conversations, right? Yeah. But so when you take that and you apply it to the liturgy, the liturgy is the one thing that the church must do perfectly well. The church, I shouldn't say perfectly well. The liturgy is the one thing that we must do well. Yeah, right. Because what is the liturgy at the end of the day? The liturgy is not you and I coming to worship Jesus. No, it is it is heaven meeting earth. It, it is, is Christ us entering into the yes. prayer of Jesus. Yes, it is a mystical thing ipso facto. Yep, by the very act of the liturgy being we are, done, we are literally entering into uh, yep. what happened on Calvary. Yes, it is represented in an unbloody manner through the sacrifice of the Mass. The sacrifice of the mass is the first understanding of what it is. It takes that, the Paschal mystery, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and makes it present right here to me. Right. Okay? Now, liturgy is not me. It's not religious entertainment. No. And this is the part that I have discovered in my own life that when I evaluate the mass, that's what I do. I sit there and I say, well, the homily was good and the music was good, therefore the mass was good. And that's a lie. It is. It absolutely is, and it's it's something that we have become accustomed to, especially in America, because we're so influenced by uh, performance. The pro- the, yeah. Well, in the Protestant culture we live. Oh, in. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely a. Uh, you got to love how I like putting words in your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Performance. It's something with a P. <laughs> 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 the no, pro- yeah, the mega church culture. Right. The, yeah. And, and and then, like you said, the entertainment performance type culture that we live in, and and so. You know When we talk about liturgy – so why did this come up? So we're talking – Gomer and I were talking about um, the situation that happened that we're not going to dive too far into. Right. But there was a priest, a young, younger priest that was removed of his faculties as an administrator of a parish in the Diocese of Saginaw. You can Google it and look it up. There's plenty of controversial – you know articles about it out yeah, there did he abuse someone no was he nope. accu- accused of something did he steal money no nope. no no all the things that get priests removed for like the most extreme circumstances that they that should happen, be that they should be he he did not he got removed for three th- things three things candles on the altar Incense during mass and having the bells ring during the consecration, which is insane. Yeah. Because when you think about it, those yeah. are not even like those are. Those are just basic like Catholic liturgical items. The smells items. and the bells. This church didn't even have them. <laughs> they didn't even have the smells and the bells. Thank God we have all three of those here at St. <laughs> Anthony's. And over my dead body will we ever get rid of them? Right now, I say that, and we could get a pastor to come in and remove them. But if that's the <laughs> case, I don't want to be here anyway. In that case, you're dead. Yeah, and we literally, we're stepping <laughs> over your body. <laughs> But, but, so this case is just so asinine to, to both Gomer and I and probably to many of our So this, our guy, this priest was removed yeah. because of this, allegedly, by not the bishop but the, di- the apostolic administrator. He's a guy put in place of trying to figure out who the bishop's going to be. Until the pope assigns a new yeah, bishop. Yeah, it's, it's a dying diocese. There's barely any young people. This priest is the, one of the youngest priests in the diocese. And he says, you know what young people like? They like Tradition. tradition. They do. Now, 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 we can talk about this. To say young people like tradition is an overstatement. It is it, a generalization. It, it is a generalization. When you say something, all young people, all X group, like this or don't like that. Okay, that, that's a generalization. But what we are finding is, living an entire two generation separate from the traditional Latin mass and all that stuff, you have found that the young people are dissatisfied with bland corporate culture. Christianity, folk masses, yeah, that try to mimic secular music and secular entertainment and incorporate it back. So, for instance, um, Stephen shared with me a video where it appears to be in the middle of mass. um, This one Franciscan priest is doing cartwheels and have everyone out of the pews, and he's doing this interpretive dance up and down the aisle. Now you want to know why men are leaving the church that's exhibit r of all the different (laughs) things we could point at because it's like i've I've seen like the one i think it was like i don't know it was somewhere abroad i think it was like in the philippines of like the priests on one of those like moving i don't even know what they're called the 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 two-wheel things that kids ride down the (laughs) the hoverboards (laughs) the hoverboards thank you i'm dating myself those things those darn kids (laughs) those kids with their vh1 and their rap music (laughs) (laughs) Mm, vh1 okay uh yeah, so so I saw this. He, so he was coming down the he aisle? He was coming down the aisle. It was like a Christmas Eve midnight mass, and he thought uh. he was going to be funny before mass, like going through the aisles of the pews on a hoverboard and trying to be, like, entertaining. And everyone's just, like, looking at each other like, this is ridiculous. That doesn't – see, th- but here's the deal. Like – I'm that, probably. That's not hashtag relevant. I, I, that's <laughs> hashtag ridiculous. Yeah. And the funny thing is, coming from a youth ministry perspective, the culture of youth ministry when I was uh, a youth minister everywhere was take the culture baptize it and represent it, right? So it's like, do you like Reese's? Well, you need Jesus, Jesus. right? (laughs) And it was so, like, I can't tell you how many Christian teachers. We're all guilty of it, though. That's what got Life Team really going at (laughs) St. Anthony's. And it was good for the time that it was. Yeah, no, and I can tell you, like, Barb, if you were to sit down with Barb, I'm sure, like, me and her, just in that era, yeah. I left in 2008. The St. Oak Ridge era. Yeah, yeah. The St. Oak Ridge era. I left in 2008 as the youth minister. So that whole time up till, like, how many T-shirts at a Steubenville youth conference made by oh parishes were literally just paraphrases of commercials? Yeah. Right? So, like, like the recent Because the church and, used to be the leader in culture and art. It used to be the culture shaper. Now we're Now we're the follower <laughs> and we try to mimic and we do it really, really poorly. Right. And so... Um, part of this, the reason for saying, all and, and, this, and here's the thing really yeah. quick. I have a, we are already seeing millennial Catholics rejecting that yeah, wholeheartedly. And, and, and I, that's what I love about the Catholic creatives group on Facebook, closed group of people that are, and some of the people in there, I'm like, ha they're kind of ridiculous, but there's a lot in there that are doing really amazing things for the church and making us a leader yeah. in the culture and in the arts again. Go yeah. on. And so I say all this with this understanding that there is so much of an emphasis within American Christianity on the worship service, right? So I'm trying to speak really broadly, as being focused on entertaining the people in the pew. And kind of the best summary condemnation of that view is uh, this one dude, uh, James Dobson from Focus on the Family. I think it was him that said, if it takes a circus, and he was talking about just youth ministry. So you got to keep in mind, I'm a nerd. I read I read when I was a youth minister probably 100, 150 books on youth ministry, and they would say things like if it takes a circus to bring them to church, it'll take a circus to keep them in church. Mm. Case in point, I went to a non-denom church. I popped in for their service up in Dallas when I was doing a parish mission, and it was quite literally a circus. They did a great job welcoming me as a visitor, but after that, it was nonsense from beginning to end. There are some non-denominational evangelical churches that are great with teaching and fellowship, and they do the same hospitality and all that stuff. This church was like, hey, let's come for happy clappy time, and that's it. And here's the deal. You can fill pews with things that please us. Right. This is the danger of form, reforming the liturgy in our image and likeness, is we are not objects worthy of worship right what the liturgy is is not something that's ours to begin with it's something that we enter into this is why like when there're studies on like Americans who lose a loved one one of the things that they show is funerals especially things like catholic masses and lutheran liturgies people that have a liturgical tradition the mourners are able to process things better oh, because more. of the Mass, because yeah. of the, the actual funeral liturgy. It's not this thing that's just all of, you know sharing. I mean, there's a place for this, of sharing wonderful it's stories of slide the It's not slideshows. It's not right. All and there's that a place stuff. for that. There, there is there out, outside that. the liturgy. Yeah, but the liturgy is where we all enter into the worship of God right. through the prayer of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. So, like, when I had a wedding, and Father Tom flew out to St. Louis and did the vows for our wedding, The idea that I became one with my bride through the words of the vows, but on a more intimate level than what happened on our honeymoon, I became one with my bride. What did happen? Never mind. Go on. I digress. (laughs) A circus! (laughs) (laughs) But, But it was, this was supposed to be a very, very passionate moment, right? Sorry. It was the Eucharist. Yeah. The Eucharist makes us one. I remember one time I hit on a girl in high school, and I said I put my arm around her and I go, "You see how close I am to you right now? If you want to get any closer, let's go into the uh, let's go let's go to mass right now." You are such a nerd. I'm such a terrible person. No, you're I'm a nerd. nerd. Yeah. But so this whole this whole understanding of the liturgy is not something that we fashion after ourselves, absolutely, and it's not something that we fashion for our entertainment. So when people see signs of the worldly version of entertainment entering in through the liturgy, some people are excited because it's, it, it, can, it can be a bridge for a culture that is saturated in entertainment right. to step into these divine realities. It's useful. Yeah. But the question is, is it useful for them to enter into the worship of God through the prayer of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, or is it just useful for them to be indulged? Right. And that's the hard part because if you were to go to a traditional Latin Mass or a more austere or formal Novus Ordo Mass... What you encounter, right, is a lot of silence, a lot of chant, yeah. and that is hard it to is. enter into. It's hard. Yeah. So that takes cultivation. And I think that's one of the reasons why it's easier to use these other so, scenes. Yeah, and so I want to give some examples of this because these aren't, you know, again, we are speaking in, you know, um, gen- we're kind of generalizing around some of this. But there is evidence of what we're talking about, right? Oh, so, 100%. you know, perfect – Example, right? The average age of a nun in the United States is like 76 right now. But if you look at the orders that are thriving, the Nashville Dominicans, the Dominicans of uh, Mary Mother, the Eucharist in Ann Arbor, um, all of the, these different orders, the yeah. Sisters of Life in New York. Salt down in Corpus Salt Christi. down in Corpus Christi. They are uh, extremely... Focused on good liturgy and traditional liturgy, dare I say it? I mean, you know, both those, uh, all of those orders are busting at the seams with young people. The average age of a nun at the uh, Sisters of Dominican Sisters of Mary, Mother of the Eucharist in Ann Arbor, is like thirty or something like that. While the national average is seventy six. Yeah. So, what are they doing differently? And that's – so there's evidence of this in the church. Another great example I like to think when I think about St. Anthony's liturgy in particular, what is one of the liturgical ministries that we are known for above all else is our altar-server ministry. Absolutely. Our altar-server ministry is famous across the country, just from people stopping here at a Sunday mass, bishops that have visited here, priests that have visited here – and I, I really got to give credit uh, not only to Mark Cardinal, who currently runs that ministry, but also Greg Wilson, who started that ministry, who unfortunately, uh, you know, for us has, has moved on because we miss the the Wilsons as parishioners. But Greg did such a great job at making the ministry not about him and not about the individual kids, but about getting those kids to understand the calling and the mission that they are on serving the liturgy as altar servers. Right. And it right. shows. I mean, they're, they, they don't, you know, and some people are like, oh, they're like militaristic. But it's beautiful. I mean, it is, it is inspiring. Have you ever been at a mass where the altar servers don't know what they're doing? I was one of them. <laughs> oh my gosh. I was, and, and I, I love liturgy. Nothing I, is more distracting <laughs> than a middle schooler with a hair in his eyes. Oh flopping. my gosh. Or, or just like the, you know, you, you see him wearing ridiculous things under the alb and it's like i'm sorry buddy but like shorts and flip-flops don't cut it under an alb (laughs) you're not jesus so uh so that's a great example i think of like a liturgical ministry that is so focused on truly and and it makes sense they are the altar servers um but but everything in liturgy has to be this way and like i said i think we do a a pretty good job at this at saint anthony's but the reason we want to bring it up on the podcast is because you know when we talk about like when I hear stories, you know, for, since I was in middle school, I've heard the generations before me, my parents' generation, my parents are boomers, say, you know, everything has to be about serving the youth, and we're going to build up youth ministry, and the church needs to focus on the youth. And, and we've done that through right. things like Life, Teen, through World Youth Day, all these things. We've done a great yeah. job of that as church. Yeah, Mark Valone, our middle school youth minister, created this program called Anchor. Right to, to do just that, to serve even younger kids that I would never want to do youth yeah, ministry yeah. with, building amazing programs. Right. Our VBS is amazing. So, but. but now you've got the generation of millennials who, you know, you can say whatever you want about us, but we're, we're now kind of coming into our own and, and iGen behind us, coming into yep. their own as high schoolers who are saying, hey, there is a certain way and a thing that we like, it's called tradition, and, it, and it's called all these different things that we would like to kind of start to see hints of that coming back into the liturgy. And then you have these cases where it's not always a priest, right? It could be a, a liturgical uh, layperson minister or a coordinator of liturgy or whatever that just totally shuts down that idea, and it's a young person that's bringing it up. And my whole yeah. gripe with this, and, and we're getting a little gripey, we're getting a little soapboxy on this, is that it's like for years I've been told that we're the future of the church, we're the future of the church. Well, hey, we're now in the position to change the church. And like the whole idea, Your ideas don't matter. Yeah. It's like, yeah. wait, what is going on? It's like there's yeah. nothing wrong with this. And and I think, you know, there's there's a there's a generational scarring on a lot of boomers that hated Latin Mass, that hated... Getting beat uh, up by nuns. Yeah, that, that whole thing. And we, and we kind of joked about that two episodes ago yeah. um, with the Catholic school students who were there. Like, I've never... Most of them have never even had a nun in class, much less yeah. had a, a ruler on their knuckles, that whole thing. Okay. Like, we've got to move on past that mentality and right. not abandon. Like, I think that part of the thing of Vatican II is that... When we went into the vernacular with liturgy and into the Novus Ordo, nothing wrong with that, but we, in some ways, threw out the baby with the bathwater, and we got rid of a little bit too much of that tradition, and that's what millennials are saying. Millennials, iGen, they crave silence. They crave these things that can help them focus. You talk about your your, your kids or your grandkids are annoying because all they do is look at an an iPhone all day or their computer or their tablet or whatever it is they're saying hey when i come to church i would love a place of quiet i would love a place of focused liturgy yeah. and i think that we have a real opportunity to use technology to educate around the why so that people understand what is going yeah. on in those more traditional aspects of the liturgy and so i, I, I mean just, think about this how yeah. many how many oh wow, in- that was really so boxy i apologize <laughs> but i just i needed to go there how many people work downtown pop into any number of downtown churches In the middle of the day. Some go for mass. Some go for quiet. Because when you're around ringing telephones and emails, it's like, okay, for my lunch break, I'm not eating lunch. I'm just going to whatever, Immaculate Conception Church, and I'm going to sit there. I'm going to go to the Co-Cathedral, and I'm going to go to confession at at noon or right before noon mass. I know when I go to confession at the Co-Cathedral, there is a line of people, men and women, in their business attire. They're stopping in from downtown so they can grab some peace the Eucharist, confession, whatever it might be. And it's this notion of carving out a sanctuary. Yeah. Like, think of sanctuary in terms of, like, I am fleeing from oppression. Grant me sanctuary. Right. It's this holy place where the presence of God dwells with us. How beautiful that we should all have, get ready for it, a sunburn from being in the presence of the S O. Oh and, my god. All right. You're welcome. So yeah. okay, we say all this stuff because there are some people who think that the only way to reach young people is with praise and worship music, is with folk music. The only way to reach people is by modernizing and technologizing everything. Right. And now I'm gonna tell you, I love a good praise and worship song. Absolutely. I love I love singing. This, this is the beauty of the millennials. We can go and praise and worship and do that side of things just as much as we can enjoy latin chant yeah unless you're a rad trad in which you just burn in hatred all the time <laughs> no i feel like hey look everyone's doing the latin mass. <laughs> i'm well, still angry. well no i mean th- so th- there's there's two issues at hand right yeah, like yeah. what you just said there's the idea i think of some of the boomers that we just have to keep like adding you know more of the contemporary into liturgy um, which not that there's anything bad with certain aspects of contemporary or and even technology this is where i you know i I will say I think that there is a place for technology in the liturgy if it is truly serving the liturgy and not distracting yeah. from it. It can be done well. But then the other side of this is, is kind of the, the polarizing politicization of the church, right, it's particularly in, in Western countries where there's this idea that contemporary folk mass equals we're going to be truly serving the poor, more social, ju- social justice-focused and more traditional liturgy is just – it's almost like like Democrat-Republican within yeah. within the church. And that's not true. And that's what millennials yeah. are saying. It's like, no, I can go and praise and worship and I can play a guitar if it's done well just as much as I can go into a liturgy that has candles, that has smells, that has bells, that has the whole thing, that has silence right. and enter in. And, and honestly – I, I need a little bit more of that, and yep. that's where that craving is coming from in the younger church. And if we don't respond to that yeah. need, we're going to lose them. Yeah, we're going to lose them. And I think you and because I because then because here's the thing: it, the more we try to become modern, the more we, in some ways, will fail. Because if we're going to become entertainment based, there is no way we will compete with the entertainment of the world. Right. We will lose that game. 10 times over in the postmodern world. So let's, instead of doing that, let's be countercultural and do what we do well. Right. We have Jesus. We don't need need anything. Okay, so like you're talking about comparing yourselves with the world, right? We don't have the budget to compare ourselves with the world. You know who's better than us? A guy with too much hair on top of his head playing a guitar at a bar. Yeah. If you if you think if you want to reduce mass to that, the guy at the bar singing, you know, "Sweet Home Alabama" is going to elicit more warm feelings from the people that are there singing and drinking along than any liturgy could. That's you know, trying that, to imitate that. that. That's trying to imitate. And it. that's when you yeah. get these nut jobs who introduce secular music into the liturgy. Right. Right. So you hear. Uh, I have a friend who. Uh, she walked after receiving Holy Communion. She said, think how distracting this is. The choir got it was a youth mass in Alabama, and they're playing Eric Clapton's Wonderful Tonight. Right? Or they play the Shrek Hallelujah. Oh, I remember in high school oh. one time, we had a priest come in, and, and they did, you know, it was, it was like high school lunchtime mass. And we had a priest that, they had a CD player in our chapel, and he would play like "You 2 Yeah. Why? I would rather just go to Mass in silence at that yeah. point. Just let's, let's enter into the prayer, and yeah. uh, I don't need that. Yeah, and the church lays down – this is – I constantly return to this. The, we have to balance what is useful with what is beautiful. Right. We have to balance adding complexity to the liturgy with simplicity. Yeah. Right? You should always err on the beautiful over the useful and on the simple over the complex. Right. Right. Now, the church also has very strict guidelines – as to what what can be sung, when can it be sung, how do we do these things. And we have a culture in America where we just disobey that because it's not with the times. right? And I think that part of our humility – now, I am not – part of my humility as a per, uh, uh, parishioner is – I'm not here running around. It's not my job to tell everyone how to be better, a better homilist, a better choir leader, a better this, a better usher, a better right, whatever. Right. So there's an element of humility where I can't, and here's the thing that really ticks me off. I'm not going to abandon St. Anthony's because it doesn't do it 100% my way. Absolutely. Like, oh, you don't have childcare the way I want it. Oh, you don't have uh, the music that I like to hear. You don't. No, right. I'm in this because this is a sacrifice of the mass, and you're my community. That's right. The, the, the Chinese church. No, can grow no to family a is no family is perfect. No family is perfect. <laughs> if you think it is, don't join it because then you're going to ruin it. Right. That's right. So <laughs> you might be the problem. You are the problem. <laughs> I am the problem. So I say all this because we're. It's not our role to deputize ourselves as liturgical fanatics. Yeah. And I do find, like me personally, I was going down that road in high school, and I, I was reading books about liturgy and all this stuff, and I stopped reading books about liturgy for about seven years because it made me be like, well, what about that? What about that? Well, what about that? Yeah, well, that's wrong. Yeah, well, that's yeah, wrong. Yeah. And I couldn't be at peace within the liturgy. Yep. Now, that said, that said, everyone who is a part of the liturgy needs to sit down and get the documents and read through what their role is supposed to be. Because we would all pray better. Yeah no matter what role yeah. no matter being a lector no matter being an altar server no matter being uh you know an extraordinary minister of holy communion we would all do it better if we understood the documents and understood the purpose. Yeah. And so here's my tip, right? What did I say at The very one of the first episodes about Sacrosanctum Concilium? You're the Sacrosanctum to my Concilium. <laughs> uh, why, did to, or why, or why did we have I to remember that? <laughs> <laughs> I but, can't believe you just revived uh, that. I know. You're welcome, America. Uh, sacrosanctum Concilium is a document. It's called the Constitution on the Divine Liturgy. It was written in Vatican II, so it's not ultra-ancient medieval reactionary rigidity. No, Some of you were born when it was written. Exactly. And in that document, I would just challenge you to read it. It will take you probably an hour and a half. Yep. If you read that document, you will say, holy moly, I had no idea. I, actually, I'm going to encourage you not to read it. I'm going to encourage you to pray it. Ooh well played Because I think again, we don't want to just all, we don't want to encourage our parishioners to become liturgical police. No, but see, this is the beautiful thing. About, I don't need that, and Brian Jones especially doesn't no, need Brian that. No, Brian Jones does need that. Uh, <laughs> the, email me at bjones Jones at, at Church. <laughs> uh, No, but I'll tell you, the reason why I said Sacrosanctum Concilium is because it's not the germ, which is the general instruction on the Roman Missal. It's not the do's and don'ts. It's this It's a dogmatic constitution on the liturgy. It's like, this is what we do, and this is why we do it. And you'll be surprised at the Latin comments. You'll be surprised at the organ comments. But this is the, and the chant and all that stuff. But the whole idea is, this is what's going on in the liturgy. And this is why the Council Fathers sought to emphasize these things. Yeah. It's more theology and philosophy and praxis than it is implementation details. So, so really quick, because I, I, yeah. I didn't want to go down this path, uh-huh. um, but since you kind of brought it up, because this is always like yeah. automatically what a lot of people go to when you start talking right. about liturgy is organ versus guitar. Okay. Here, I'm going to give you my opinion really quick on it. Uh-huh. Um, I don't care which one it is. I just want it to be done well. Okay, and I think we do, like I said, I think we do a really good job of it here. Bishop Lopes uh, said that recently at the Southwestern. Bishop Lopes is the bishop of the Anglican Ordinariate, which is... The Ordinariate of the Chair of St. Peter. uh, Yes, which is Anglicans that are becoming Roman Catholic. They have their own special diocese, and it just so happens that their bishop and their cathedrals here in Houston, Our Lady of Walsingham. And Bishop Lopes, at the Southwestern Liturgical Conference like two weeks ago, which this year happened to be held in Houston, he actually said... I prefer traditional liturgy in so many words. I'm not giving a direct quote, but he said, I prefer traditional liturgy. However, contemporary worship can be done well. Contemporary liturgy can be done well. And if you want to look at someone who does it well, look at that big church, that giant parish up in the woodlands. So I don't know. I I don't, there's only two of us. I, I haven't been to Saint Simon and Jude ever, so I'm just going to assume that it's us. Um, and because he did a confirmation mass here, oh yeah, that's and, right. and so that's that's kind of my point is like I like both, and I don't like either or. I just want both and to be yeah. done really well. Now, what do you, you mean by well? How is guitar done well in the liturgy? According to okay, well, going back to what you said a few minutes ago, which is we don't we don't need to like try and make uh, songs that are that mimic you know uh, pop culture okay so that's that's number one um I think you, you need to be a good guitarist it's not a performance right it's you are you are assisting the, the music liturgy. itself. let me put it this way, and you tell me if this is what you're thinking. The music itself should not be a distraction. To the worship of the liturgy, absolutely. Okay, so if it you're should help a guitar, me enter in. It should yeah. help me enter into the mystery that is taking place on the altar, not detracting away from because of the right. words or because of. So now, so theologically, the lyrics need to be sound, correct. So we can't just take Protestant songs, nope. and pretend there, like there are some that are okay because there theolog- are a lot that are okay because they're theologically sound, yeah. but there are a lot that are not. That are not that we just. You took the wrath. What was that? It's a song that I love, but there's a song that's straight up Calvinism. Uh, and, and on the cross wait, was satisfied. I can't remember. Oh, man, you're, you guys are all blessed by me singing that <laughs> just now. <laughs> oh, it's a great song. Uh, man, it's like right on the tip of my brain. I keep wanting to well, sing Well, you, you keep thinking about that. So nope. here's my point. Yeah, keep going, keep going. So, no, keep going. What makes a well? So well- then the, the other side of it is that people get stuck on the comment that I think Pope Benedict made, made which is the organ takes pride of place absolutely sacrosanctum concilium concilium okay yeah. <laughs> he took it from thank you uh so absolutely that that is true but it doesn't mean that if if an organ is not playing the liturgy that the liturgy yeah. is you know not good it can right. still be good even if right. there's some places where organs don't exist we know this so my whole thing is like i like weirdly it. enough Oregon, the state of Oregon. Yeah, well, probably. <laughs> no, they actually just came out with a whole liturgical document. Their uh, their bishop up there did that. Oh, he's awesome. Yeah, it's apparently really amazing. I haven't read it, but Brian sent it to me. So, um, Oh, that's Washington. Spokane. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, Spokane, Washington. Same dish. So diff. Uh, anyways, my, my whole thing is just both and, not either or, but just make sure that the both and is done really well. Yeah. I digress. Go on. So uh, I don't particularly like organ music because Inter- I okay. – Curveball, wasn't expecting that from you. Go on. Now, this is this is the thing that maybe you need to know about me. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm a fat guy, right? Fat guy. <laughs> uh, P-H-A-T. I love eating food that is, you know, like um, healthier alternatives to common food. Like, instead of eating spaghetti, you can eat spaghetti squash. And I remember giving it to <laughs> a certain someone who is Im- related to me. And they, like, spit it out in front of my wife who cooked it. And I almost lost my mind and choked them. But... For some reason, I know when I'm eating spaghetti squash, this isn't spaghetti. It doesn't taste nearly as good as a plate of pasta. But my mind does this, where I do that. I have this trick where it's like, I know this is healthy for me, so I'm going to enjoy it because of that. So I say that because I don't naturally like organ music. I like tay Give me Taylor Swift. I'll rock out to her <laughs> ten times out of ten. Well, of course, yeah. Because those – Who doesn't me- love to rock out to Tay-Tay? Like <laughs> exactly. Uh, why uh, did not she respond to me on Twitter? Um <laughs> – So when you think about this, the hooks within rock and roll music and pop music are there because they want to burrow into your brain and make it easy to sing and to remember, okay? Organ music is a difficult thing. Organ music is the spaghetti squash of the liturgy. It's something that I don't naturally like. And if you give me a blind taste test, I'm going with the pasta 10 times out of 10. But I know that it is better. And what do I mean by better? So I didn't know this about organ music until like six months ago, three months ago. But the reason why the church favors the organ is because it's not a stringed instrument like a piano. Right. It's a wind instrument. Yes. Like the human voice. Correct. And the church says actually the ultimate pride of place is the voice, the human voice. There is no instrument as diverse as the human Which voice. Which is why chant is so beautiful. Which when, is why chant done well. is mandatory in the Catholic Church. Yeah. And so I didn't like chant. I thought there was a bunch of old people. I thought it was like a Monty Python thing, mm-hmm. right? You ever see that with Holy Grail? Oh, they but there's nothing the more. Uh, again, go, going back to the yeah. Dominican Sisters of Mary Mother, the Eucharist in Ann Arbor, oh, they, they have, have that CDs CD. uh, that you can download it on iTunes. And it is literally one of our former parishioners. Yeah. um actually Sister Peter Thomas. Sister right? Peter Thomas. She's on the CD. It's just literally them chanting you know, these beautiful songs and back and forth yeah. and together and so harmonizing. all these different styles of yeah. polyphony and chant and all these different forms. But the reason why I say this is when I found out the reason why the church has always favored the organ, because it is that instrument that most mimics the human voice, but the human voice has ultimate pride of place, I fell in love with the organ. Like I fell in love with spaghetti squash. If I'm on a blind test, I'm going to take the guitar over the organ. Right. But when I realize what is happening at the liturgy and what the organ is supposed to propel me to, which is my own voice uniting with that of the organ, then I realize and that of the aha, divine. Aha. Right. And so that's why I, I realize this stuff. So when we talk about um, what does it mean when we say liturgy done well, we have to balance. The useful with the beautiful, Mm -hmm. the beautiful is your voice. The beautiful is polyphony. The beautiful is choral. The beautiful is active participation. Active participation. The beautiful, but even if the people aren't singing, the notion of like I think people play too fast and loose with the music. The church makes a distinction between sacred and devotional music. Sacred music is music that was created for the liturgy. Right. Devotional music is music that you can sing in the shower that gives glory and honor to Which God. Which would be more like praise and worship, right? And, yeah, and KSBJ type stuff, right? And so I got a buddy who's a pretty pretty traditional minded young priest, and he talks about. I know your buddy, right? Can I call him my buddy? I know yes. we're not as close, but yeah. Okay. He chants the mass when he chants the mass. It's faster than a said mass. But also the interesting thing is he talks about where praise and worship is actually, or, or songs or hymns outside of chanting and whatever. Yeah. It actually makes room in the liturgical documents for stuff like that, right? Entrance antiphon. You have an entrance antiphon, but you can also have an entrance hymn or song. You can have a closing hymn or song. You know, it's fascinating to me yeah. that the church has these little prayers, these things called antiphons. You're supposed to sing them. But also on top of that, there is room, second communion song. Not a single document in the church says anything about a second communion song. So you have the freedom to weave a praise and worship song into there if people are receiving communion and they're back in the pew. And if it is useful, well done, theologically sound, go for it. Yeah, go for it, right? But so I think okay. So wrapping that also doesn't. Oh man, so much. I'm so nervous. I think I'm talking too much. No, I. You know, it it means no drum solos. There, I said it. It means no drum solos. No, no guitar solos. No good to, no right. solos of any kind. Right? Yeah. There shouldn't be solos. The only time there's a solo is when you have a, a cantor. Is the homily is, <laughs> or the homily or the responsorial yeah. psalm for yeah. the, the the leader leading said chant or prayer. Yeah. But in the sense of like a, a you know, a reflection song or any song, there shouldn't be a solo. Yeah, you liturgy. can have a piano or an organ playing underneath people as they are going to receive communion or something like that. But we mean the solos that draw attention to themselves. I remember one time I was at a, a mass and I was giving a talk, and it was when I was still a youth minister here. So this is like 2006. And I witnessed. An electric guitar solo distorted like a heavy metal guitar, right? So they had the distortion pedals uh. in the middle of the communion hymn. And all the kids were clapping and cheering. Now, that might be hashtag relevant, no. hashtag contemporary, or one-up, hashtag contemporvent. But... That didn't lead anyone into the liturgy. In fact, it led it all to that person. And the danger is when we make it not about entering into the prayer of Jesus, up to the Father, in the Holy Spirit, but we make it about the, the instrumentalist. Yeah, that's, that, that's not just dangerous. That's sinful. Yeah. And so. Oh, man. We went there today. Oh, well, gosh. We're, so, we're going to get fired. Well, you are. You know, I mean if I'm going, you're going. I know.
1: Dang it, I <laughs> no, got catching foxes. No, no, no. <laughs> I mean, these are here's the thing.
0: These are all discussions we have pretty openly here in the office, yeah. um, and they they're discussions that we've had one-on-one with some parishioners. And here's the thing: uh, to everyone that's listening, you may disagree with us, and yeah. that's totally fine. My thing is, I just want people to be open to the idea of some of the more traditional aspects in liturgy yeah. because there is. A movement happening within the young church yeah. it, you know at World Youth Day, I read a great article about it they had a they had a mass uh, a, a, a mass in Latin at World Youth Day this year in Panama uh, a few weeks ago and it was one of the most attended events at World Youth Day um, not to say that there ha- that hasn 't happened in the past but There is a movement towards discovering that sacredness of the tradition. And it's even happening in Protestant circles. That's right. The fastest growing movement of, say, Reformed Christianity is called the Young, Restless, and Reformed. Terrible name, but that's what they call it. And they want hardcore doctrine and traditional worship. It's why whole congregations of Anglicans are returning to Roman Catholicism because they see us as the bastion of tradition and holding on to all these things yeah and And if you think the mega church model is the ideal model bridge church and red church one in portland the other one in melbourne uh these are like the most cutting-edge churches and you know what they do they are building liturgy again yep they are but through their evangelical non-denom a historical way they're adding things like silence they're doing things like they're doing things like liturgy of the hours, yeah. Oh, that's been the most fascinating thing to fascinating. me. Fascinating. Lexio divina and liturgy of the hours is re-entering the Protestant world, and and, and it's because of this movement. So I, I think we can. Yeah. I think we can wrap it up. We should. We yeah. We've been on a big soapbox. I say this uh, in in all seriousness, though. Of um, to to some of our, our, our boomer listeners, we love you. You you have paved the way. You have made the church awesome for so many of us that came behind you in so many ways. But when you hear a young person, a young Catholic, crave these sorts of things, don't shut it down. Don't it's, it's, it's a fire in them that yeah. is good, that is holy, um, and that is righteous. And there's something to that. And so don't don't quelch that fire because I, I really believe that the Holy Spirit is doing something powerful through this and there's a reason, there's a desire and there's a need amongst young people for that tradition and for that silence that has been so lost in the postmodern culture. Yeah. Amen. Peace out, y'all. That was good. Dominus Vobiscum. At 2 20 <laughs> You're heartless. <laughs>